Any of y'all recognize the name Michael Fay? You recognize that name, Michael Fay? We have a picture of Michael Fay. He's the one in the white shirt. You recognize that name? In uh, April, no, excuse me, May, May 5th of 1994, he received probably one of the most well-known spankings of anybody ever in the world. Uh, 1994, I was like two years old. I barely remember this. But <laughs> Michael Fay was a 19-year-old living in Singapore with his mother and stepfather, and he'd gotten some criminal uh, trouble in Singapore, which is kind of a no-no if you're going to Singapore. And he had uh, some vandalism and things, so he was sent, given a, a prison sentence and also given uh, a sentence to be caned six times with a, a rattan, rattan cane. Now, that's a, a, a type of a tree. They make a cane out of it that's about almost four foot high and uh, about an inch thick, and they soak it in water the whole night before, and then they get you naked, and they tie you up, and they hit you, and they reduce the sentence to four uh, licks with that cane, but they are so proficient with this that literally they say you cannot sit for a month afterwards. You cannot lay on your backside for a month afterwards. Uh, interestingly enough, at least at that time, Singapore's crime rate and cleanliness was much greater than the United States. Go figure. Uh, but it was obviously a, a uh, whether you're for corporal punishment or whatever or not, that's not my message tonight. But it was, a, it was a beating that got a lot of attention and certainly corrected his behavior, at least in Singapore, for a while. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, the Scripture will be on the screen. And we're going to look at a beating and a revival, and a beating that came from a revival. You know, the whole purpose of caning someone or sending them to jail, at least a temporary jail sentence, is to what? To correct behavior. You spank a child to correct behavior. And sometimes God has to spank us. But let's begin with this this evening. God is, is often trying to get our attention. Hey, do you believe that? That God is, God is oftentimes trying to get your attention. I want to tell you this evening, God's trying to get your attention. You can ignore me. You can play on your phone. You can daydream, whatever. But if you listen God wants to get your attention. And, and, and I would just ask you this. How many of you believe if God wants to get your attention, you need to hear what he has to say? Amen. He, he, you, you, you do. I do. Here's the first thing. Sometimes God uses a unique event to get our attention. Sometimes he uses a unique event to get our attention. Verse 13 through 16. Man, the Bible is so exciting. And this is not a dull story. A group of Jews were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied. When the evil spirit starts talking back, you better cowboy up. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, seven of them, remember, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled the, from the house naked and battered. First of all, let me tell you this. Don't play with the name of Jesus. We do it all the time, don't we? God told me. God, Don't you tell somebody God told you something if you're just trying to bully or manipulate. 
that in the Old Testament, if you said God said something and it didn't come true, the penalty, you didn't get caned, you got stoned to death. Don't use the name of God. Don't we do it all that the preachers do it? Church members that we do. Don't use God as a manipulative tool. That's what they were trying to do. And then they considered themselves demon busters. How many of you remember the Ghostbusters series? If you, you need to see the Ghostbusters. Do we have the Ghostbuster emblem, Jamie? These guys, isn't that great? That, that, uh, the Ghostbusters went around catching ghosts in, in New York City. These were demon busters, except they were frauds. And, and it's kind of like that, that the, they came on this evil spirit. Brandon, i got to use you as a bad example. Brandon's trying to cast out demons, and the, and the demon said, I know Jeremy McGee, and I know Chris Craig, but I don't know who Brandon is. And then that went bad for Brandon, right? I, listen, folks, I, I'm not proud of this, but in my history, I've seen fights and been around violence. I've seen people beat up. I've seen people beat down. I've seen people beat black. I've seen people beat blue, but I've never seen anybody beat naked. That's what the Bible says here. My guess is if you leave the fight naked, you lost. Amen? Would y'all agree? That never would be good. And demon possession. De- demon possession. Now, a lot of te- people today are too sophisticated to believe in that. Very interesting article in the Washington Post, not necessarily a conservative uh, paper, last July 2016. It was by Dr. Richard Gallagher, a psychiatrist. He is also a clinical psychology professor at New York Medical College. Dr. Gallagher said, for the last two and a half decades and over several hundred consultations, I've helped clergy from multiple denominations and faiths to filter episodes of mental illness, which represent the overwhelming majority of the cases that we looked at. But from time to time, I have had to say it was not simple mental illness. It was the influence of the devil. This is not popular among my peers who don't think I'm scholarly or wise when I say this, but from things I have seen before, in rare cases, I believe individuals today are still possessed by demons. This guy was possessed by a demon, and he beat these guys naked. That's not the whole point of the story. The point of the story moves to verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly. Well, sure it would, wouldn't it? If, if Josh gets beat naked over by somebody today, tomorrow it'll be around Rustin, won't it? It spread quickly all through Ephesus to the Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Folks, God, always remember a lot of things that happen aren't God's will. It's not God's will that sin happens. The Holocaust in, the, in World War II, that was not God's will. Racism, prejudice, abortion, that's not God's will. But God can use anything to get our attention if we will let him. There's been debates on these hurricanes. Is this judgment of God? Is this a sign from God? I don't know. I think you have to be very careful about speaking for God on things like that. But I can tell you this, God can use any of it to get our attention if our spiritual ears are up. Are you with me? 1989, a friend of mine from Tennessee called me, and he, uh, he guy had grown up in church, been baptized. He'd been out the night before. He was drunk in a bar, and he got hit about four times in the face with a guy by a guy who had brass knuckles on. If you don't know what those are, Google them when you get home. It's bad. And he was a professional person and had to go to work on Monday with a face that looked like meatloaf. 
And it got his attention for the first time in many years. And through that, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. God's trying to get your attention. You believe that? Some of you right now go, well, there's nothing really going on. Just keep your radar up. Some of you, God is trying to get your attention. I read this recently, and this is so good. Don't ignore the signs you're asking God to give you. Some of us say, oh, God, show me what to do. And then when he does, we go, I don't see it. God's, God's not, or we don't like the sign. Amen? God, if you want me to stay in Ruston and get a $50,000 raise a year, may the church love me more and say amen ten times tonight. And it, when, when it doesn't happen, then I have to ask God again. God, may they say amen five times Sunday morning, right? Don't ignore the signs because you don't like what the sign is. Some of you haven't asked for signs, but God's given you some signs. Don't ignore the signs God is giving you. Do it at your own peril, okay? God's trying to get your attention. But here's the second thing. I believe this. God's regularly trying to get our attention through the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that too? Man, God is a God, is a God that interacts with us. Isn't that great? That, that God loves you, and God's, God's your father, as Kay beautifully sang about. We're talking about that on Sunday morning. And as your father, a loving father, God is always trying to interact with us, isn't he? And he's always trying to get our attention. You listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart. You listen to the Bible when you read it. You listen to silly preachers when they preach. You listen to your Bible study, your small group leader. God is trying to get our attention. And, and I think it's neat that he does. Now, folks, listen to me on this. I know this from experience. If you let God get your attention through the Holy Spirit and through the Bible and through others, God does not have to pull out the cane to whip you. But God loves you enough that he will pull it out and use it on you if that's what it takes. Are you hearing me? How many of you would rather God bring revival in your life just through peace and nice listening versus having to spank you? Let God get your attention. Now, here's the second big thought this evening. God is trying to get our attention to change us for the better. See, God's not just trying to get your attention like a, an immature child throwing something at you so you'll turn around and look at him. God's trying to get our attention because he's always trying to change us. Everybody in this room tonight, God's trying to change. Some of us, it's a 180-degree change. Some of us, it's a, it's a five-degree I don't know where you are, but I know every one of us needs some adjustments spiritually. We do all the time we, we need that. How's God trying to change us? Four things I'm going to give you right here, and they all go together. These aren't separate. They all go together. Here's the first one. God's trying to get us to fear him. God's trying to get us to fear him. Look in verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city. That word fear there in your Bibles means a godly fear or a reverence. Do you believe you ought to fear God? Hebrews 10.31 is a staggering verse. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Folks, we, if you're a Christian, God loves you deeply, but you need to have a holy respect of God. If you're not a Christian, you need to give your life to Christ. And you're going to enter into a relationship with God that is so wonderful. But listen, he's still God and we are not. I'm going to tell you what I believe is wrong with so many Christians. Christians first today. We don't fear God anymore. 
We, we've been told that someday when we stand before the judgment, because we're a Christian, all we're going to hear is you just walk on in. No, the Bible says that some of us are going to be saved, but as by fire. We're going to smell like smoke, but we're going to get into heaven. And I think here on this earth, we forget that God disciplines those he loves, and we've lost that fear. Listen, I've seen Christians or professing Christians act in ways they shouldn't act partially because they don't fear God in the judgment of God. I've seen churches behave in ways that churches should never behave. You don't do that when you have a healthy fear of God. And look at our world today. I, listen, I'm not, I'm not, we should never condemn non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. Right? A lost person's not going to act like a saved person. But you can just watch the news for a little while tonight. Our world has no fear of God anymore at all. We've made God in our own image. If we don't like something the Bible says, we just deny it or correct it. And, and I want to tell you, we need to have a fear of God. One of the things God's trying to get us to do is have a fear of Him. Listen, when you fear God, you'll obey Him better. You really will. I verified this story. In fact, Bobby Reagan, who is a church member here and a dear friend to many of us, verified this with me. In the 1980s, there was a lawyer. They were on Cross Lake over in Shreveport. He was a known atheist. He stood up in the middle of the lake, and it was kind of stormy. And he made some comment like, there is no God, and if there is a God, strike me dead right now. And he was hit with lightning right then and died. That is a true story. Now, I want to tell you, if you'd have been in a boat near him, you'd have had a fear for God, wouldn't you? And, and, and I remember the first time I heard that story 30 years ago. It broke my heart. It didn't make me happy. Very sad. And usually it doesn't happen that quick, but I want to tell you, one of the things God's trying to do in your life and my life is to get us to have a fear for him like we need to. You don't obey God, that is your choice. But you need to understand, with those choices come consequences and results. Someone said the four greatest motivators, I said the four, great, the four greatest motivators of life are, are faith, hope, and love, and fear. I would agree with that. Do you have a fear for God like you need to? Here's the, here's the next thing. God's trying to get us to honor him. Again, these all go together. In verse 17, it says, A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Greatly honored means to magnify something, to enlarge it. It means to show its greatness or to, to bring out its qualities. My wife has, I call it a trick mirror at home. Most women have this in their arsenal. It sits uh, on a little stand, and it's a mirror on both sides. And one side, you look at it, it's a normal mirror. You flip it, and it magnifies it. Sometimes it'll scare me to death when I pick that up. I look in it. I don't know who that person is. And I realize I actually do have three chins, and it's scary. And then you look, and you, go, you, see, you see moles that only God knew were there. I mean, it's scary. When you magnify something, you, you bring out its qualities, good or bad. Listen, anytime you magnify God, all you do is, is shine on his great qualities because they're in bad qualities. And for revival to happen, God's people, God's church need to come back to a fear of God and to honor God and to lift Jesus Christ up. Folks, in your life, if people look at your life and they see how great Jesus is in your life, it draws people to him. If this church is known as a church that honors Jesus and lifts him up, 
Not that we don't honor ourselves or our causes or our our agendas, but we honor and lift up Jesus. That's how you reach the world for Christ. That's how revival happens. We've got revival in two weeks. How do we get ready for it personally? Honor Jesus Christ, magnify him, and fear him. Here's the third thing. He's trying to get us to confess our sins. He's trying to get us to confess our sins. In verse 18, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Now, here's two ideas in this text, and I think they're both right. It says, many who became believers. One idea is that in this process that that many people are becoming Christians. And part of the process of becoming a Christian is you confess to God you're a sinner, and you confess your sins to receive forgiveness. But a lot of scholars, and I agree with this, also this is talking about Christians in this process who were confessing their sins to God, who were getting their lives right with God. The word confess there in your Bible, it means to externalize something that's inside of us. Here's what it means to confess your sins. It means that you acknowledge your sin is your sin. Not somebody else's, it's yours. You own it. God, this is mine, this is my fault. And you confess that to God. You're specific. You don't say, God, if I've sinned, forgive me. That's foolishness. That's second grade prayers. You confess with specificity your sins to God. And and the verbiage here, the verbiage here is this is something they kept doing. In other words, when God got a hold of them through that beating and they began to fear God and to honor God, these people realized a part of their daily experience needed to be confessing their sins, owning their sins, and getting right with God. Listen, One of the things, Christian, you need to be doing every day is keeping short accounts with God, confessing your sins to God. The American Psychological Association several years ago in one of their articles thought this is is pretty neat. And this wasn't written from a Christian perspective. It was talking about confessing things to get them right with other people and with yourself. And they said that a partial confession is worse than no confession. That got my attention, so I began to read the article. And here's what they said, and this is what you do and I do with God a lot of times. We come clean a little bit. Or we do this with other people. We don't want to tell God, like he doesn't know, or other people what we've completely done, so we tell a little bit. And then a day later, we not only feel rotten because we still got the junk inside of us, we feel rotten because we lied in our confession. And the psychologists were saying, when you're going to come clean to somebody and you need to, come clean. That's what confession is to God. By the way, you're not going to have a spiritual life and a prayer life if you're holding a lot of sin in and not dealing with it before God. One of the things that God is trying to get you and me to do tonight is to bring our stuff to Him so He can forgive us and cleanse us. One of the ways God's trying to get your attention, He's trying to get you to say to Him, God, I've got this sin, this stuff in my life that I want to confess it, and I'm going to show you in a second what to do with it. Not to sit on it. Some of you may have a lot of stuff that needs to be dealt with tonight. All of us have stuff that has to be dealt with. And here's the fourth part, and like I said, they all go together. God's trying to get us to repent and do what's right. Listen, for Christians, confessing your sin with no repentance is just is, is talking. We confess our sins with a desire to turn from it. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. 
but it's with a desire, with the help of God, to turn from it. Look in verse 19, a very interesting verse. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of these books was several million dollars. Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, we know it by the beautiful book Ephesians. The, book of, the city of Ephesus was famous for its magic arts. In fact, a lot of the Jewish people in this day were known for their desire to cast spells on other people and for the spells that they used in the magic. And, folks, the, the bottom line is, is that's, that's not of God. And when God got their attention and a fear of God came back into their heart and a desire to honor God came in their life and they confessed their sins... They dealt with their sins. And they took these, look, books were rare then. Books were expensive. These magic art books would have been very expensive. For some of these people, this may have been how they made their livelihood. But when God got their heart, they were willing to take their junk and the wrong and the sin and get rid of it completely. I love this. They didn't go sell the books to other people or give them away. They burned the books. When in the 1970s, I was not a Christian, but I remember youth groups would go off and they'd get right with God and they'd come back and burn their rock albums. I wanted them to give them to me. They wouldn't do it. They, they burned them if, if there was bad stuff on the albums. What do you need to get rid of this evening? Hmm. What needs to be burned in your life? Fire pretty much does away with it. What, what person needs to be out of your life? What group of people need to be out of your life? What sin are you holding on to that needs to stop today? You see, you're not going to have revival and God work in your life if you're not willing to get rid of the stuff. Most of us are like a speeder. I don't know if this story is true, but it, it, it's funny and it proves a good point. In a small town several years ago, a police officer and one of his friends, uh, they'd known each other for years. The police officer pulls him over in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. He's going 50. He says, you, you're going 20 miles an hour over. I'm going to write you a warning ticket. If I see you again doing this, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. A week later, he pulls him over going 45 in the 30. He writes him a ticket. And the guy says, man, I've slowed down. Why, why are you hassling me? He says, speed limit's 30. I don't care if you slow down. A week later, he pulls him over going 40 in a 30. And his friend is furious. I'm slowing down. I'm doing better. The policeman pulls out his, his billy club, and he begins to beat his friend on the head. And he asks him, do you want me to stop or slow down? Why do we think with God, it's okay if we just don't do it as much? Or God, I'll just keep wallowing in this sin, but you know my heart. Oh, come on. Really? Or God, I'm just going to hang on to this because this doesn't do any damage. It quenches the Spirit of God in your life, in your family, in your church. And God says, I'm trying to get your attention because there's things I want you to stop. And get rid of. Wonder what First Baptist is a church if there's things that we need to get rid of. 
Let me tell you some wonderful news in the midst of some hard words. When we do these things, we experience revival. We do. As an individual, revival is is Christians getting right with God. It's a fresh experience with God. As a church, it's a fresh experience with God. And any time a church has revival, lost people become Christians. It's just part of the gig. It just happens. Charles Finney was a great revivalist and preacher many, many years ago. In fact, these words were written in 1834, but listen to what he says. A revival can be expected whenever Christians and churches are found willing to make the sacrifices and do the things necessary to carry it on. They must be willing to sacrifice their feelings, their business, and their time to help move God and his work forward. It seems we are more interested in asserting ourselves, going for the gusto and self-fulfillment than we are in seeing God revive us. 1834, wow, how true today. But I love what Finney said, and I believe that's true. When we do our part, God's just waiting to do his part. Let me tell you three things real quick that happen when this happens. We free the Holy Spirit to work. Verse 20 So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Widely means with power and might and freedom. Folks, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You're not a Christian, you can get him tonight. Uh, A church's power and the key to a church is the Holy Spirit being in enough of us, but free in us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, look what it says. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's something that is staggering. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but many of us have him quenched up in our big toe. Years ago, they used to use the term, we need to hold a revival. We don't need to hold a revival. We need to turn a revival loose. And folks, when we confess our sins and we repent and we honor God and we fear God, we free the Holy Spirit up in our life. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we need in our church? We free the Spirit up. Here's the second thing. It, our influence is great when we do this. All of us have influence with our kids, with our family, with others. Verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly. And a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of Jesus was honored. Verse 20, the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Listen, when people get right with God and enough people in a church get right with God, our influence is tremendous. We all have influence. But if you want to have influence with God, we need to free him up to work in our life. And lastly, I would tell you this. This is when you see God work. We see God work. Verse 20, one more time. The message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. That phrase, powerful effect, means to be forceful or healthy or effective. Folks, when Christians get on fire and churches get on fire, people are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. We'll go home tonight and we'll watch the news and we'll talk about how bad everything is. Well, it is. What it needs is not more complaining from us, but for us to be Revive so we can bring that to the world. And that's how God will work in you and work in us. Vance Havner was an old preacher, dead now. 
But he said many years ago, all Christians and all churches want revival. We want a fresh work of God in our lives. We really do. We want to see good things happen in our church. A lot of times we want to control that, determine how it will happen, and that will never happen. But, but Havner went on to say, we want the product, we just don't want the process. So my invitation to you this evening is let's begin the process. You're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You don't need to leave here until you settle that with God. And when we stand in a moment or after church, you find a minister, you come and give your life to Jesus tonight. Let him come into your heart. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that when we stand or do that after church. You're here tonight as a Christian. Maybe things with you and God are great. Some of you, it's not. Things are not where they need to be with you and God. And the only one that can correct that is Y-O-U. And if you want God to be free to work in your life, you do what you have to do this evening. Where you're standing, praying with a minister to make sure that God can bring revival to your life and that you're not a barrier to it happening in our church. Let's stand and let's respond as God leads you.